from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. My name is Tony Sundermeyer, the senior pastor, and I want to thank you for watching today's broadcast. Now, I invite you to join in the worship of God. of thanks as they move to Jens, Jacob, Wade, Brendan, Dan, Anna, Heather, Deanna, and baby Benjamin for the gift of music. It is both a balm and a joy to us. Thank you for sharing your gifts in our worship. Friends, we turn now to our scripture lesson for the day. It comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 24, verses 33 to 43. Hear now God's word for you and for me. That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. This is the word of the Lord. Our thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let us see new things from these old words today as we meet you again. And may we go from this place energized and courageous to bring your light into darkness. Amen. I texted a friend this week to set up a time so that we could talk and catch up, and I asked her how her work is going these days. She wrote back that she's seeing new sides of her colleagues in COVID time. I don't know whether that's good or bad or both. I'll find out when we talk in a few days but her comment resonated so much with me. I wrote back that I think we're all seeing a lot about a lot of things now. It's probably true about any time of crisis or challenge. We learn new things about ourselves and others, and we see some things that were always there, both good and bad, with a new clarity. Now, while we would never have hoped for coronavirus and we're eager for it to be behind us, this disruption of our regular waves gives us the chance to see ourselves and our world with some new clarity. My family saw a video this week that is being shared around the internet called The Great Realization. Maybe some of you have seen it. It captures this experience of seeing things with new eyes. It was written by a poet named Thomas Roberts who lives in England. It shows a sleepy dad 
and off camera, you hear the voice of the young son he is trying to put to bed. The little boy, like all kids at bedtime, doesn't want to go to sleep. He wants to hear one more story, and he begs for the one about the virus. Now that sounds weird to us who are living through this. The virus is not the stuff of fairy tales or bedtime stories. But the video is set sometime in the future, looking back at the year 2020. So this little boy, like all little kids, wants to hear about something his dad lived through that he knows only as history. So his dad reads a long poem that describes what the world looked like before we knew about the coronavirus. It describes what we learned during this time and how we saw things differently afterward. Part of the poem goes like this. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty, back before we understood why hindsight's 2020. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick. You could have anything you dreamed of in a day and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted and the work-life balance broke. And the children's eyes grew squarer and every toddler had a phone. They filtered out the imperfections, but amidst the noise, they felt alone. And every day, the skies grew thicker till you couldn't see the stars. So we flew in planes to find them while down below we filled our cars. We filled the sea with plastic because our waste was never capped. Until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out already wrapped. But then in 2020, a new virus came our way. The governments reacted and told us all to hide away. But while we all were hidden, amidst the fear and all the while, the people dusted off their instincts. They remembered how to smile. They started clapping to say thank you and calling up their mums. It does say mums, it is a British poem. And while the car keys gathered dust, they looked forward to their runs. And with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe, and the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled to the seas. Some people started dancing, some were singing, some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct and they made way for the new, and every simple act of kindness was now given its due. The poem goes on, and I've cut some parts out of it, and then at the end the little boy asks why it took a virus for the world to change. A good question, don't you think? I don't share this poem to be trite or glib or to suggest that making the world better will be as easy as baking or taking a run. But the poem paints a hopeful picture of people realizing that they don't want everything to go back to the way it was. They want the world to come out of this time healthier and more just and more kind. I share it because it captures our moment right now. We want to hold on to the good we see, and we want to change the things we see about our world 
that are not right. I share it because today we join Jesus' disciples to see our Lord with new eyes and get a second wind to work for his mission of justice and love. So let's start with the good. When we look around us in these disorienting days, there is so much good to see, positive outcomes we want to hold on to whenever our lives get into a new rhythm. For example, yesterday on a Zoom call, a church member shared that usually her family doesn't get to worship together, but now that we're online, wherever they are, they all log on or call in with their flip phones and worship together at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. We celebrate the good of dusting off our instincts to get outside and run and play. The good of this break for families, in one sense, who were stretched and overscheduled and didn't know how to pause any of their activities. We celebrate the good of music and art being shared freely for us all to enjoy, of people reaching out with technology and making good old telephone calls and hollering across the street or across their yard to their neighbors. We celebrate this breather for God's weary earth. We see good, new expressions of gratitude for people whose jobs were always essential to our lives, but who are all too often invisible. And we see compassion coming to life as people pay attention to their neighbors, the lonely, the sick, and the vulnerable. We celebrate all this good, and today may we commit to making these permanent changes in how we live. But friends, everything we're seeing with new eyes isn't so good. The poem I just read also highlights how broken our world was before we even knew about the coronavirus. And in fact, even the poem's hopeful picture of lessons learned shows a privileged version of social distancing, the one where people have time to run and dance and bake without fear of losing their income or their housing, without being threatened with domestic violence, without being paralyzed by anxiety, or falling ill. With these new eyes, we see how much our world needs to change and how desperately we need the light of Jesus Christ to shine into our darkness and give us new sight. The coronavirus came into a context of profound economic disparity, and that hasn't changed. COVID time has just put a spotlight on the structures of our world that are straining to the point of breaking from healthcare to employment to safe and affordable housing. If anything, we see even more clearly now that while we're all in the same storm, some are in sturdy boats, inconvenienced but confident that they'll weather it while others sink, while they bail with all their might. The coronavirus came into a context of consumerism, and that hasn't changed much. We might have slowed down a bit, but we're still, many of us, over-consumers of everything, from food to products to technology to information. We see that while some people are annoyed because the supply chain is tangled and it's hard to find toilet paper, others are truly hungry because schools are closed, work is dried up, and places that usually help are closed. The coronavirus has highlighted our complicated relationship with technology. 
We see clearly now the gap that divides those who can pivot into online work and worship and learning and those who don't have access, who fall behind in school, who can't work remotely or get the resources they need or connect with others, so grow more isolated. In this COVID time, we see the beauty of God's earth more clearly, literally. Skies are cleaner, water is clearer, and we're grateful for the chance to see spring bloom when we've missed that beauty so often in our busyness. We see as creation rebounds just how much of a burden we had put on it. And apart from the threat of COVID and all those broken places in our world coming to light because of it, this week we learned that yet another member of our human family Ahmaud Arbery was killed. Not this week. He was killed over two months ago and we almost didn't even hear about it. As we learn more, we see again clearly that racism is alive in our community. So the question for us as Christians is whether we will let it go unchecked and unchanged. After we've seen all this brokenness, will we stay quiet and just hope for the best? Or worse, will we pretend we don't see anything that needs to change and clamor after some picture of how we think things used to be? Or will we answer the call of Jesus Christ to bring his light into this darkness? It's a weighty call, this call to be the second light to reshape the world into a place where justice prevails and all are welcomed, whole, and loved. And like the disciples, we need a second wind for that work ahead. So I, for one, am glad today to go into Luke's gospel and to sit with the 11 and to see Jesus Christ again. I'm longing for Jesus, my risen Lord, to open my eyes because I'm looking for the sign that yes, he has conquered death and the power of evil. I want to see him more clearly and to be reminded that he abides with us even as he calls us to get to work. We pick up the Easter story just where we left it last week. Jesus has already appeared on the Emmaus Road and broken bread and the ones who met him there go back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples what has happened. I picture them actually running and breaking into the gathering because they can't keep this news in for another minute. The Lord is risen. And then suddenly, they see Jesus. Before they even react, Jesus is there. And he knows that the disciples need his peace. So his very first words to them are a blessing. Peace be with you. The disciples are having all the feels in this moment. When they see Jesus, they are startled and terrified, frightened and doubtful, disbelieving, wondering, and joyful, all in five verses. I hear that range of emotions and reactions, and I think the disciples in that moment are a lot like we are in these days. They're surprised by what's happening and terrified in the face of an unknown future. Their ministry has been disrupted and they don't have clear next steps. 
They feel loss and grief. They're frightened by an appearing Lord who was dead and doubtful about what is true and what to believe. They wonder what's going to come and what it will mean for them. And then finally, they're joyful even in their uncertainty. Joyful because the Lord is risen. Joyful because their Savior and their friend has come back to bring them peace and to give them a second wind. In this moment, in this scene, we see again what kind of Savior we follow. He is concerned for them. He knows they have questions, and instead of chastising them for doubting, he physically offers himself to them as the answer. He eats a piece of fish, and just as he has done in so many meals before and does every time we share in communion, he welcomes them into the good news of his resurrection. He humbly says to them, touch me and see. He shows them his hands and feet, wounds and all, so that they can believe. His hands and feet carry so much here. They prove to the disciples that Jesus is who he says he is. They are bare and wounded. They make him vulnerable, and they are reminders of the horror of his death and the violence that humans still inflict on each other today. They hold his love as he reaches out to his friends. In Jesus' hands and feet, we see all of his ministry and purpose. They bear all the things he has done, all the places he has been, and all the things he is still calling us to do. In her book, Home by Another Way, Barbara Brown Taylor, great preacher, has a sermon on part of this same text called Hands and Feet. She writes about how personal hands and feet are, how they mark us with our scars and tell our stories, even though we don't usually go around showing them to each other. She writes about what we see clearly as Jesus shows the disciples his. Look at my hands and feet, Jesus said. And when they did, they saw everything he had ever been to them. They saw the hands that had broken bread and blessed broiled fish, holding it out to them over and over again. They saw the hands that had pressed pads of mud against a blind man's eyes and taken a dead girl by the hand so that she rose and walked. They saw the hands that danced through the air when he taught the same hands that reached out to touch a leper without pausing or holding back, and his feet, the ones that had carried him hundreds of miles, taking his good news to all who were starving for it into the homes of criminals and corrupt bureaucrats whom he treated like long-lost kin. He wanted them to know he had gone through the danger and not around it, so he told them to look, not at his face, not into his eyes, but at his hands and feet, which told the truth about what had happened to him, which were the only proof he had that he was who he said he was. He left us something to recognize him by, his hands and feet, just like ours, or almost like ours. You know what his said about him? What do ours say about us? 
Where have they been? Whom have they touched? How have they served? What have they proclaimed? Friends, in this time of disruption, we see with new clarity many dark places in this world. But on this Easter journey, we meet Jesus again. We know him by his hands and feet. We remember that the Lord we follow leads with humility and welcomes all. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can answer the same call Jesus brought to those disciples so long ago to bring light to those dark places, to replace vanity with humility, disparity with justice, violence with peace, and hatred with love. Amen.